Welcome to the Learning Scientist Podcast, a podcast for teachers, students, and parents about evidence-based practice and learning. The Learning Scientist Podcast is funded by the Wellcome Trust. Hi, I'm Dr. Yana Weinstein, a professor at UMass Lowell. And I'm Dr. Megan Samaraki, a professor at Rhode Island College, and together we co-founded The Learning Scientists. We apply cognitive psychology to education for teachers, students, and parents. And up to this point in our podcast, we've been talking about six strategies for effective learning. And these are strategies that have a lot of evidence from cognitive psychology to suggest that they really do help us learn. We've talked about spaced practice, retrieval practice, elaboration, interleaving, and today we're going to talk about concrete examples. And concrete examples is all about taking abstract ideas that are difficult to understand and linking them up with concrete examples of the abstract idea. The thing about abstract ideas and concepts is that they're quite hard to remember, so harder than concrete ideas. For example, if I gave you a list of words to remember and they included things like trust, genius, guilt, you wouldn't do as well at remembering those words as if I'd given you a list of concrete words like house, flower, bicycle, and so on. So one way you can get around that with the abstract ideas is actually using concrete examples of those ideas to illustrate the abstract concepts. And the idea is that then if you have enough of these concrete examples, they will help the student understand and remember the abstract idea. So all of this is a really abstract way of talking about concrete examples. So here is a concrete example of a concrete example. Take the idea of scarcity. Scarcity is an abstract idea, and we can define it by saying that as something becomes more rare, its value increases. But this is abstract. So if we want to give a concrete example, we might say, think about ticket sales and an airline company. If we're trying to buy tickets for spring break, say, so it's January, and we're trying to buy a flight down to Florida for late March or maybe April, right now the tickets are going to be relatively inexpensive. They're not going to be as expensive as they will be right at that moment when it's late March or April. If we wait that long to buy the tickets, there are going to be fewer seats left on the plane. As the seats on the plane, the tickets become more rare, its value increases, and so the tickets are going to cost more. So this is great and a student can say, aha, yes, I understand. I, I remember this concrete example. Um, this concrete example makes sense. However, it's possible that the students might only just remember, oh, scarcity has to do with ticket sales or scarcity has to do with airline tickets. We don't want the student just to remember the concrete example and those surface features like tickets or planes and not really remember the underlying idea. And one way to get around this is to provide a lot of different examples. And we're going to talk about this throughout the podcast, but some other concrete examples of scarcity might be to talk about buying tickets to see a sporting event. So this is different from an airline company. Now we're talking about going to see something and you can say as it gets closer to the particular sporting event um, or you know, more and more people are buying tickets just simply because they're doing well that season the seats in the stadium become more rare, and so the tickets increase. Do you have another example that's not about tickets? Yeah, so students could just then say, oh, well, scarcity is about tickets. So another example might be natural resources. So in the desert, say maybe um, in areas of California or Utah, Nevada, 
when water becomes rare, when water becomes scarce because of a drought of some sort, then the value of that water actually increases. And so it might be more expensive to purchase or just in general, this the different cities might be putting restrictions on water usage because there isn't a whole lot of water. When it's becoming rare, the value of it increases. And so a given family might normally, you know, water their lawn and, you know, play in the sprinkler outside when it's hot, maybe even fill up water balloons and, and play in the yard. But during a drought, when there are restrictions on how much water to use, you don't want to waste water on those little, uh, you know, things that you don't need to do. You would save the water for necessities like drinking, cooking, bathing. And so this is an example that has a lot of different surface features, but again, is still demonstrating this idea of scarcity. And these three examples together are going to help the students understand the underlying abstract idea better than if we just gave the abstract definition, and really even better than if we just gave one example. And so this raises a really important point, this idea of surface features. And what tends to happen is that with novices, nor novice students or students who aren't familiar with the subject, they will tend to focus on those surface features of the examples. So in the example that Megan just gave, or the set of examples, we have two that are similar in terms of surface features because they talk about tickets. And then a third one that's still illustrating that same abstract concept of scarcity, but now is talking about nothing to do with tickets, talking about water. So imagine that we now presented complete novices with another example and it had something to do with tickets but nothing to do with scarcity they might unfortunately group that together with the ticket examples and think it's illustrating something specific and that could be about tickets but they're not realizing that what we're trying to get at is the idea of scarcity and so the ticket part is just an irrelevant surface feature so there's a study about this actually from 1981 by Chi and colleagues and what they did was that they looked at examples from physics and they had novices and experts take a look at physics problems that looked similar visually, but also had different or similar underlying structures. So they either looked similar or not, and they had underlying similar structures or not. And what they found was that the novices grouped together the problems that looked similar. So they both had, let's say, some kind of inclined plane or like a triangle with an arrow. And then novices would see it and say, oh yeah, I think these two are going to be solved in similar ways. Whereas the experts would take a look and they would see that even though the two problems visually looked very different, it was actually those two that we grouped to together because the same type of equation or um, problem solving technique would be applied to solving them. And you can take a look in the show notes to see what we mean by those examples. So take a look at seeing how they're visually similar but not the same underlying structure and those are the ones that novices will group together and so by giving many different examples with different surface features what we hope is to teach the students what the important features are that actually relate to the abstract idea and so Megan has a, a concrete example again of something that happened to her in a class where she was trying to teach students an abstract concept, but they ended up kind of focusing on the concrete example that she was using and remembering that instead. Yeah, so I this was the very first class that I taught all by myself when I was a graduate student. And I really wanted it to go well. I was kind of nervous. It was a hybrid intro class where the students were actually watching lectures that were recorded by the professors at Purdue University, where I was a PhD student. And then I was in charge of their recitation section, and I would meet with them once a week. 
and go over the different concepts. So I was the only live instructor they had, but they were watching things um, on, you know, on their YouTube channels at home. And I had one section of this class that was just really, really, they were always really low energy. They were, they seemed tired. It was that time of day, that two o'clock slot, you know, after lunch, they just really didn't participate much. And it kind of made the whole recitation feel like it was taking forever. And I was really trying to get them engaged and, and trying to help them understand. And when we were talking about operant conditioning, they seemed to be struggling with the idea of operant conditioning and um, reinforcement, specifically positive and negative reinforcement. And so I decided that we were going to use this concrete example of positive reinforcement in class. And so what I did is I brought in candy to the next class and I used the candy as positive reinforcement to increase a behavior such as participating in class. And immediately everyone was paying much more attention. Everyone was engaged. They were participating. And we were talking about operant conditioning or positive reinforcement. And I kept saying, this candy is me positively reinforcing you for talking or positively reinforcing for giving a concrete example. And so I thought this was great. It went, it did go quite well. They were really participating and they were active and engaged and and I thought it really kind of turned the class around and then later on when I was reading my course evaluations a lot of the students wrote she was nice she gave us candy and I was sort of frustrated because I thought I wasn't bribing you with candy I mean I guess I kind of was I was trying to get them to participate but I wasn't giving them candy just so that they would like me as a person and like me as an instructor and say nice things about me. I was giving them candy to teach them about this operant conditioning principle. And now when I think about it, really what the students did is that they they remembered the surface feature. They remembered candy and that was it. They didn't remember the underlying abstract idea, which was positive reinforcement can increase a specific behavior. If a student likes the consequence of their behavior, they're more likely to do it again. They totally missed that part or forgot that part. They just remembered the surface detail, which was candy. So I have a very similar example of this uh, focusing on surface features from teaching students the same concept, actually. I was teaching my intro psych class about operant conditioning, and I gave them an example of positive reinforcement, which was giving treats to a dog. And then I asked them to come up with their own concrete examples of positive reinforcement. And so I was hoping they'd come up with different things, like perhaps a teacher giving good feedback or parents giving their children pocket money for doing chores or something like that. But all of the concrete examples that the students came up with were just other forms of edible treats, like, oh, candy or, you know, chocolate, things like that. And they just couldn't move away from that specific instance of positive reinforcement and generalize to more different examples. Yeah, and so this is all just to say that concrete examples are great, but giving multiple concrete examples is much better. So two examples are better than one. We have a a colleague who wrote a guest blog um, called Two Examples Are Better Than One, Althea Bauernschmidt, and we'll link to that blog in the show notes if you want to read more. But essentially, by giving multiple examples with different surface features, you are helping encourage the students to really abstract that underlying idea at least encouraging it it doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to be able to make the link but it does sort of lend itself so that the students are better able to connect the ideas and realize that the service features like candy versus saying good job or ticket sales versus scarcity of water that's not the important piece that's just part of this one example 
one important thing to consider is that it's not really enough just to give students lots and lots of different concrete examples. The other important part of it is actually explicitly making the link for them from the concrete examples to the abstract idea. So what can tend to happen is that students get very focused on the specific concrete examples, but they're not going to automatically transfer the understanding of that example to the abstract idea. So it's really important that we as teachers actually make the link. So explain why we're using a particular example and how it it explains the abstract concept or how it applies to the abstract concept. Yeah, and it seems like students actually have a difficult time doing this. So I, um, during the fall 2017 semester, was teaching a first-year seminar. And in this first-year seminar, I was teaching the students about the six strategies for effective learning and how they could use it for their studying. And I mentioned to them that they should use concrete examples. If there's an abstract idea that they're having trouble understanding, or even if they think they get it, they should try to apply concrete examples to the abstract idea. And I told them all of this information that we just told, you know, talked about on this podcast. We said, you know, two examples are better than one and try to find examples or come up with examples that have different surface details. You know, don't just focus on one particular example. And I said, once you have a number of examples, try to make the link between the concrete examples and the abstract ideas. And they all sat very quiet and sort of looked at me and someone finally raised their hand and said, well, what do you mean by make the link? And I said, well, just, you know, take the concrete example and figure out what pieces connect to the abstract idea. And they said, what do you, what do you mean? They had no idea what I was talking about. It took me a second to realize that the way I was describing it was quite abstract and maybe I should show them what I meant. And so I took the scarcity examples and I explicitly made the link for them. I said, okay, in the scarcity example with plane tickets, it's the seats on the plane that are becoming rare. And so the price of the seats are increasing, which is making it worth, they, they become worth more. The value increases for the sporting event. Again, space in the stadium is decreasing or becoming more rare. And so the value of going to that sporting event is increasing. And then I talked about the water in California or in Utah. And I said, okay, in this case, it's a natural resource that's becoming more rare. And the value of that is increasing. But it's not necessarily value in terms of money, although water could become more expensive. It's also just sort of value in terms of what you're willing to, to use it on or what you're willing to, quote unquote, waste it on. Drinking is important. And so, you know, regardless of how little water there is, we're going to use what water we have for drinking. But we're certainly not going to waste water on something like a water balloon fight out in the yard if there's a drought. So explicitly making the link and describing what surface features match up to which, which parts of the example can help the students realize, okay, it's not about tickets, it's not about water. It's not about money. It's not about water balloons. It's about the rarer something is becoming, the higher its value. And I think an important concept that plays in here is this idea of curse of knowledge. So that's the idea that we as teachers kind of assume that students are going to understand, in this case, the link between the concrete example and abstract idea, because to us, it's really obvious. We have an abstract idea that we already kind of know. And then we think, okay, we sh I should give some examples. So then we come up with examples. And it doesn't really occur to us because we came up with the examples and we understand the abstract idea. It doesn't occur to us 
that to students this will just be a whole separate thing that doesn't automatically relate to the abstract idea. And since the concrete stuff is easier to remember than the abstract stuff, they then later on remember, oh, I remember something about airline tickets or, oh, I remember something about water balloons, but they don't remember the rest of it. And it's almost pointless if they don't remember how it links up to the main idea yeah but that i mean that's not to say that concrete examples are bad it's just that if we do give concrete examples which we should we should first of all not just give one because that can be quite dangerous because then they'll just transfer it to the abstract idea to that one example and think that's it so we should give multiple but also then make that link yeah so if they remember oh it was something about water balloons and that's it then there's a problem. They're not going to be able to figure out what scarcity is. But if remembering the water balloons allows them to remember the example and the link to scarcity, and now they can figure out what scarcity means, that's much more beneficial. But in order to remember that link, they had to understand the link in the first place. Yeah, I can even just imagine a question on the exam saying, why wouldn't you have a balloon water fight when there's a drought? And then the student would have to remember, oh, well, that's because of scarcity, right? That's what we would want it to trigger for them rather than just, oh, there wouldn't be much water so we couldn't have it. And, you know, mom and dad would say we're not allowed. Or why wouldn't you have um, a fight with um, squirt guns out in the yard, which squirt guns have never been mentioned before. But if you understand the idea, they can transfer. Oh, and I understand, you know, you wouldn't do that during a drought because it would be wasteful. And right now water is scarce. But that's a surface detail that we've never talked about. So they might have trouble if they really didn't understand that that underlying idea. Right. Or you could say, you know, there's a concert of a famous pop star and the tickets are almost sold out and they're getting more expensive. Why is that? And again, you know, hopefully they would transfer from those other two examples or tickets to that one. And then you could even have a further transfer example where something else is scarce, not tickets, not water, perhaps a particular delicacy or maybe turkeys at Christmas, right? So you, or sorry, in England, we eat turkeys at Christmas. And in the States, <laughs> the turkeys are at Thanksgiving. Yeah, Megan just gave me a funny look when I said turkeys at Christmas, but that's what we do in England. In any case, if you go to the shop a few days before a celebration that requires you to buy a turkey, you might find that there aren't many turkeys there. And then students would hopefully transfer and say that's because of scarcity. And the price would have gone up for the ones that are there. So what would be some recommendations for teachers? We sort of mentioned a few things, but let's make it more concrete. Yeah, so when you present an abstract concept, use more than one concrete example to explain the idea. Preferably your examples will differ in terms of surface details to help students generalize from the example to the idea. To make sure that students understand how the concrete example applies to the abstract idea, help them to make the link between the various surface details and the underlying structure. This is the part that students tend to find most difficult. Don't assume that students will know which part of the example is the most salient or relevant. Make that explicit in your explanation. And finally, we haven't actually mentioned this yet, but we'll be talking about it in our next podcast or next month. Do use visual examples, i.e. examples that you illustrate with pictures, as well as verbal examples. Yeah, and some tips for students would just to be, be to collect examples that your teacher mentions in class or things that you can find in your course materials like your textbook or um, you know other resources that maybe have been given to you 
things that you found online, though you do want to be careful when you find things on the internet. There are plenty of examples out there that are not correct. Um, the example we've been talking about with IntroPsych operant conditioning, there are tons and tons of inaccurate examples of negative reinforcement and positive punishment out there. So you do want to be, be careful. Although if you do find an example that doesn't seem to fit quite right and you can sort of deconstruct that example and explain to yourself how exactly the example does work and in what ways it doesn't really work, if you can do that on your own, figure out what parts are good and what parts are not so good and maybe even how you would change it to make it fit the concept better, then you really probably do understand that abstract idea and you're in good shape. But collect as many examples as you can. You can even share some with friends and ultimately try to come up with your own concrete examples and then make the link, that explicit link between the concrete example and the abstract idea. And then basically you're practicing retrieval using concrete examples. Yeah, that sounds great. And you might also find some concrete examples in your real everyday life that would apply to some of the concepts that you've been studying. Yeah, so your son. Oh, right, yeah. So my stepson Fabian, he is 14, and he recently became really interested in fidget spinners. Well, maybe that's a fad that he doesn't care about anymore. But at some point, for a few weeks, he was really obsessed with fidget spinners. And he was playing with them, and you know, they're kind of annoying. But then all of a sudden, he started explaining to me how they actually work using, what is it? Ball bearings and physics. See, I didn't know. And so I was able to have a conversation with him where I didn't really say all that much but I just encouraged him to explain you know he said oh ball bearings and he just kind of said it he wasn't going to give me a long explanation but I said oh really I don't know much about that how does that work is that something you studied at school and then he gave me this whole explanation of how the fidget spinner worked so this meaningless toy actually turned into a learning experience for him because he was able to see how it was a concrete example of something he'd studied at school. So thanks for listening and join us in two weeks for the Bite Size Research where we talk about a specific research study related to concrete examples. And if you haven't done so already, please do make sure to go onto iTunes, rate and review our podcast and subscribe to our podcast. It's really helpful in terms of helping others find our podcast and letting them learn about the signs of learning too. I'm Dr. Yana Weinstein. And I'm Dr. Megan Samaraki. Thanks for listening. The Learning Scientist Podcast is funded by The Wellcome Trust.